everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. The Pacific Northwest has officially had its first hot weekend. A few days following that weekend, we had another really warm day. Guess who's the most excited about that? My co-host, Balthazar. Almost every day, he heads to the door, I open it, and does he go outside? No, because he's very, very, very picky. He won't step outside if it's less than 55 degrees. At this moment, it's 63, and he's flat on his back with his belly up towards the sun. Am I worried about letting my cat out unattended? No, my cat is a scaredy cat. If I sneeze and he's in the room, he hunkers down. One time, opening a can of soda made him run for cover. And besides, he's too spoiled to take care of himself, so he's always staying close to home. Oh, and a quick shout out to Annie Ryder. Thank you and much appreciation for taking the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Here at From Plum Creek with Love, we try to go into as much detail into our recaps, so if you don't have access to actually watching or viewing the episode, don't worry, we got you covered. We're going to try to make it as though you're actually there in Walnut Grove. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled, Someone Please Love Me, and debuted on March 5th, 1979. The episode was written by Michael Landon and directed by William F. Claxton. We begin with a shot over an open fire. As the camera pulls back, it is revealed we are in a blacksmith shop. But Hans Dorfler isn't around, so I don't even know if we're in Walnut Grove. Charles shows up on a horse and introduces us to Sandy, the current man running the blacksmith shop, or at least seems to be the one who's doing the dirty work, the technical work. Sandy informs Charles that his business partner, sibling, I'm not entirely sure, but his name is Gargan, and he has currently barricaded himself inside the office. He's counting the money in the safe box. Charles knocks on the door, identifies himself. Sandy, off to the side, mentions that Gargan is paranoid about the safe box. There are plenty of holes underneath the floorboards inside. It's not really safe to walk in there. Gargan eventually opens up the door and hands over to Charles $250. Charles mentions how he personally would have preferred a check. Gargan, on the other hand, uh, I give them bank money and they give me a piece of paper? That doesn't make sense. If you haven't picked up on it, Gargan has trust issues. And what exactly is this $250 for? Charles is being sent out to purchase a number of horses from a Mr. Harper's horse farm. And I guess my big question at this moment is, will Charles be getting some sort of compensation for this work? We're not informed where Mr. Harper's farm is located, but we can be assured it's not nearby. Gargan, again having trust issues, tells Charles to look at all the horses that Mr. Harper has to offer, and not just the first ten. P.S. Gargan doesn't seem to trust anyone. Doesn't matter if folks have a good reputation 
or a bad reputation. According to Gargan, it's still someone who can cheat you. Having a good reputation just makes it easier. Do you understand? Charles admits, sort of. As Charles leaves, Gargan yells out to Sandy to get back to work and get it done quickly. Sandy responds, do you want it done right or do you want it done quick? Gargan, do you want to get paid or do you want to get fired? It's such a conundrum. From there, we are magically in a place we have never been to before. It's very quaint. The streets are paved, as well as the sidewalks, and so far, I haven't noticed any building that has a second story. However, I am a little confused by the sign in the back that reads, Cheap Cash Store. Charles is arriving in town, and driving past the Douglas Saloon, established in 1857, and by reading the rest of the signs, Columbia Carpentry Store, Columbia Candy Kitchen, I think we're in Columbia. Charles arrives at his destination and heads inside the office. The man behind the counter is busy reading a bleeding hand strikes back. I wonder if Laura and Andy would have been into that book. Without looking up from those pages, the man behind the desk informs Charles that Mr. Harper is not in the building. If you want to talk to him, you can head over to the saloon. We find Charles walking down those paved streets of Columbia and stopping outside of a saloon. Charles steps inside and the closed caption says that there's indistinct chatter, but really this room is really empty. Oh, that's until the camera pans over and we see the rest of the room and Charles meets Mr. Harper. Mr. Harper is over there lounging on a couch with a drink in hand and a sex worker at his side. And Charles makes his introduction, tells him he's here about the horses, and he's ready to talk business at any time. Mr. Harper insists, go ahead, have a seat, let's have a drink, and we can talk now. We know Charles' feelings about saloons. He continues to stand and insists that he'll wait outside for Mr. Harper when he's done. Mr. Harper insists Charles has a seat. Pleasure before business. From Charles. No, thank you. He informs Mr. Harper he still has to find a library for his team and a room for himself. And from that couch we hear, If you do business with Brett Harper, you stay at his place. Charles gratefully accepts the room, but still insists to wait outside of the saloon, and admits he would rather do some sightseeing instead. With a smile, Mr. Harper states, Don't worry, I won't be long. We cut to the evening. All the lights have turned on, and Charles is waiting on a bench outside of the saloon. No surprise. Waiting for Mr. Harper. We finally do hear from Mr. Harper, and he's not coming out of the front doors. He's coming out of the side doors. With that sex worker he's been keeping company with. He's promising her a new horse. Just stop by. She giggles, tells Mr. Harper goodnight, and heads back inside. Charles gets up, reintroduces himself to Mr. Harper, and we hear, Oh, right, my house guest, got it. Uh, do you have a wagon? I don't feel like walking home. Charles informs him he does indeed have a wagon, but his horses are already put away for the evening. We cut to Mr. Harper slamming open that front door of his house, staggering inside, and announcing, Mikasa es su casa. 
Just kidding. He actually stumbles inside, knocks a porcelain figurine off of a shelf, resulting, of course, in a loud crash. From the top of the stairs, we see a woman standing with her arms crossed. Charles tries to assist Brett Harper standing up. Get off. I can do it myself. He proceeds to stand up and make his way up the stairs. In passing, he introduces Leslie, who is standing at the top of the stairs, and instructs her to show Charles to his room as he makes his own way to his bed to pass out. Leslie comes down the stairs, takes a moment to pick up the shattered remains of that figurine, and to also inform Charles that she is Mrs. Harper. Charles is standing there, awkwardly, not sure what to do. It's the next day, and we see the exterior of this house and its yard. It is by far the most well-kept and manicured yard we have seen in the Prairieverse. There are two children out front playing Quidditch. Just kidding. But one of them is running around with a broomstick between their legs, claiming they're a witch. Inside, Charles is coming down the stairs and meets up with Leslie, who offers to make Charles some eggs for breakfast. Charles, he only wants black coffee. As she is serving that coffee, I have to say, the bird chirping soundtrack in the background is a bit much. It sounds like they're inside an aviary. Charles apologizes about last night and holy spit, he lies to Leslie to cover up for Mr. Harper. He says the two of them got to drinking and how some men just hold their liquor better. What the fork? That's so not Charles. Leslie takes this moment to say there's no excuse for my husband. It's nothing new. In fact, we're informed if it wasn't for Charles, Mr. Harper wouldn't have even come home last night. We continue to hear these kids in the background playing, arguing, as siblings do, and Leslie rushes out there to defuse this situation between siblings. And what? There is another blip in the Prairieverse when little Alicia Sanderson Edward Snyder is present and is called Samantha by her brother, who is not called John or Carl. His name is Thomas. As the children are arguing over this broom, Leslie states, well, it's actually my broom, and you can only play with it if you get along with your sister. They're also told to keep things down because their father is still sleeping. Inside, Charles finishes his coffee and announces how he has to get to work. Strange, but by work he means purchasing those horses. Leslie informs us that her husband is still going to be asleep for a little while. She encourages Charles to have a look around the property. Heading outside, Charles is greeted by some moos and heads over to the livestock. This is when Samantha and Thomas decide it's time for them to get to know Charles. Charles introduces himself and identifies the kids by name. The two of them are impressed. How did you do that? Charles confesses it was just magic, but truthfully, it's just observation and paying attention. At this time, Charles then says, it's good to meet you, Sam. Thomas, uh, you can't call her that. That's a boy's name. And thankfully, Charles puts a stop to that by saying, so what? You're playing a witch, and witches are ladies. 
Thomas shrugs his shoulders, says, good point, and then admits how cool it is that Samantha now has a shorter name. I wish I had a short name too. Charles, without hesitating, well, we can call you Tom. And apparently he has never heard this before because Thomas, Tom announces, ooh, I like it. Wish my pa would call me that. Charles inquires, well, why not just ask him to call you that? Tom responds with, we don't talk anymore like we used to. My pa is sick. He falls down a lot. We're not supposed to bother him. And speaking of, right at that moment, Leslie yells out at Sam and Thomas to not bother Mr. Ingalls. Yelling back, Charles announces, it's cool. It's at this time, Sam and Tom both ask Charles if they want to watch as they play witch, which gets them to argue about that broomstick once again until Charles reminds them what Mother said. From Tom, oh yeah, uh, Sam can go first. She looks more like a witch anyway. And there is an LOL from Charles, as well as from me on that. We cut to Mr. Harper, dressed as if he's in a completely different era, and <laughs> fixing a drink. It's broken. And holy spit, it looks like there's carpet on the floor of this house. When Charles enters the room, Mr. Harper inquires if Charles can actually stay for a few days. It will give him a chance to round up all the horses he has to offer. He then offers Charles an Irish coffee, which is turned down. Leslie enters the room at this moment with a friendly reminder about a picnic they had planned for later that afternoon. You think I have time to remember everything? I'm running a ranch here. Charles interjects. Family time is an important time. Leslie concurs, which then causes Brett Harper to announce, I've got to go to town. As he gets up to leave the room, he has some disparaging remarks for Leslie and leaves. A little while later, Charles goes into the kitchen to check on Leslie. She's packing fried chicken for that planned picnic and he inquires if he can tag along for this picnic. With permission granted, Charles heads outside to hitch up that team, and when he's out there, he gets Sam and Tom to help him out. Those two kids are excited. We find ourselves at that lakeside picnic. Charles, along with Sam and Tom, are playing that classic game, Chase, until Charles, from exhaustion, falls to the ground. To give himself a little bit of a break, Charles sets Sam and Tom to task on finding a dragon. Tom is first to respond, there's no such thing as dragons. This is when Charles corrects him. That's what lizards are, baby dragons. This gets Tom and Sam to go running off, and Charles, thrilled to have a break, makes his way back over to Leslie, who offers up some tea. He turns it down but does ask if there's more chicken. Handing those legs over to Charles, Leslie inquires, are you married? She mentions how he's really good with children, and he tells her, I've got five. Leslie continues how she hasn't seen the children this happy in a long time. Charles mentions that's one of the dangers of having a stranger coming around. They'll play hard, but when they leave, the kids will expect that level of attention all the time. The next words out of Leslie's mouth are, the only stranger in their life is their father. 
Leslie then spills the tea. Brett Harper was a fine husband and a devoted father and spoiled the children, especially Michael, the oldest firstborn. He went everywhere with his father. We're informed sometimes Mr. Harper would put Michael on the saddle with and go riding around the ranch until one time their horse took a stumble. She says it was no one's fault, but their son died. And this is when Charles, oh my goodness, opens up about his family and his own loss and shares the story of Charles Friedrich Ingalls from five years ago. However, he doesn't mention his other child, Laura, running away and climbing up a giant mountain and then claiming to see angels. Leslie inquires how Charles got over it. And he admits he really hasn't. It's why his faith is so important to him. He couldn't handle it all alone. Leslie inquires, how do you get to that level of believing? Their conversation is interrupted by Sam and Tom. A dragon! A dragon! We swear we saw a dragon! Charles gets up, and as he heads over to Sam and Tom, he turns to Leslie and says, you could always see a dragon. You just have to believe hard enough. We get a nice shot of Leslie in those trees at that picnic by the lake. Cut to evening time. Everyone is at the table, except Brett. The kids want to stay awake so they can tell their dad about the dragon when he gets home. Why does daddy have to work late every night? Leslie, he just has to. Now finish that milk. At this time, Charles opens his mouth with a promise of tucking the kids into bed and also a story, if they finish their milk and it's okay with their mom. Those two children proceed to pick up those glasses of milk and chug. Gross. Upstairs, we find out Sam and Tom share a room. Sam offers Charles a seat on her bed because apparently Tom still wets his. And Charles normalizing this. What's the problem? Lots of people do. I did. And turning to Tom, encourages him that he'll grow out of it. Charles, having a seat on Tom's bed, starts with a story that takes place in the clouds. Sam interrupts. She doesn't want a scary story. According to her logic, if this story takes place in the clouds, we're in heaven, which means we're dead. I'm beginning to like Sam more and more. Charles takes this moment to inform her the clouds are all actually made out of marshmallow and you can run, play, eat, and sleep on them. Once he says that, he tells them it's time to dream a little dream and not eat too many clouds or else they'll get a stomach ache. Just as Charles is about to leave the room, Tom sits up and inquires, You weren't making fun of me about wetting the bed, were you? Charles, nope and guarantees Tom he will indeed one day stop wetting the bed. Good night. We cut to Leslie outside on the porch, fanning herself. Charles comes outside, and she apologizes about her behavior this afternoon. I just wanted someone to feel sorry along with me. Charles, oh, we all have our moments. You should talk to my daughter, Mary. Just kidding. However, he does admit that we all have our moments of feeling sorry for ourselves. And it is hard work to be happy, but it's never too late to try. Good night. Next day, we get to see that selection of horses and, oh boy, 
What a task! There is at least over a hundred horses here. In fact, Brett Harper informs us that the military are also coming by to get 1,000 of these horses. He instructs Charles to head back to the house, and he'll make a selection of a few top choices for him to begin with. But he does encourage Charles to look at all of the horses. And back at the house, Charles comes inside, and Leslie is cooking a meal. She inquires if Brett came home as well. He tells her he'll be home soon. Charles then offers to take the pie out of the oven. There's no reason for pretty hands in a hot oven. And Leslie, she's taken back by this. I haven't had a compliment like that in, in years, Mr. Ingalls. Charles mentions how he always speaks the truth. Now I gotta go wash up. When he's out of the room, Leslie takes a moment to look in the mirror and check her own hair. Some time passes, Charles returns downstairs and checks on the meal, compliments the smell. From out of the room, Leslie offers to serve up a small plate to tie Charles over. She then enters the room. Leslie has had an outfit change. I definitely would not call it casual wear. This does not go unnoticed by Charles. She blames Charles. A woman can't feel happy unless she feels like a woman. We hear Brett Harper enter in the background and make his way into the kitchen. Ignoring Leslie in her fancy clothes, he inquires where Charles is at. He's right there. The two of them make their way over to Brett Harper's office, where we're informed that those horses are now in the corral and they can settle up their money in the morning as he, one, pours another drink, two, ignores Leslie's attire and dinner invite, and three, completely kills the atmosphere. Leslie turns and leaves the room, allowing Brett to finish his paperwork. Charles follows Leslie outside to comfort her. Tom comes running into the scene, announcing how Sam is busy somewhere else having dinner. He then inquires what's the matter with his mom. Leslie announces, I'm just tired, and heads inside. Tom's no fool. Ma cries a lot. I can hear her at night. To get Tom's mind off the situation, Charles offers to take the boy for a horseback ride. Out on that horseback ride, Tom tells Charles, I think she's still upset about my brother dying. He also tells us his father has forbidden him from having his own horse. In this moment, Charles says his father let him ride a horse when he was a little bit older. And apparently, Lansford Ingalls? is dead. Charles says so right here in the scene. And after that bit of shocking news, the two of them return to the house where oh, Thomas is told his father is looking for him. And upon finding one another, how many times have I told you not to get on a horse? How many times? Charles tries to step in, but is immediately told to butt out. How many times? And this is when Brett Harper slaps Thomas across the face. Thomas runs to Charles and apologizes to him. And Charles tells Thomas, you did nothing wrong, son, and instructs him to head inside. He's got something he wants to talk about with his father. Charles starts, it was my fault. I asked him to go on a ride. You didn't have to hit him. Brett Harper instructs Charles, not to tell him how to discipline his own children. And Charles, well, I'm going to, 
because you don't treat him like a son. Anybody can have children. That doesn't make them a father. He leaves Brett Harper outside and heads in to go check in on Tom, who's in Leslie's arms. And Brett Harper's just confused. How does that Ingalls go putting my son and a horse without asking me? As he's pouring himself a drink. And Leslie, Leslie's not having it. She grabs that bottle. Stop it. In the name of heaven, stop it. And she slams that bottle to the ground. It's at this time Tom is instructed to head to his room. From Brett, we hear, Why do you gotta act like that in front of the children? And Leslie, thankfully, she does not hold back. Me? What about you? You're the one staggering around drunk in front of your children, spending half the day never speaking to them, never being a father. She continues, Michael wasn't your only child. Brett opens his mouth to yell, Don't mention my son's name. Leslie then takes this moment to remind Brett, Um, I was his mother. I carried him inside me. And when he died, part of me died too. Children need a father. I need a husband. And I can't stay here anymore. As she makes her way out of the room, Brett Harper Leslie, don't leave me this way. She stops and turns. Not this time. Not another chance. And then another and another. It's been too long and I'm too tired. A stranger showed up. You brought home. He gave your children more love and understanding than you've given in four years the first time they've known what it's like to have a father. Brett stops her and questions, you're leaving because of Ingalls? It's like it's a trick question or something. But Leslie states, no, I'm leaving because I have to. It's overdue. Late night, Charles is sitting up in a rocking chair in a guest bedroom, smoking his pipe, reading the paper, and there's a knock at the door. Leslie enters. I'm tired, and it's not going to work. And she proceeds to ask for a lift, wagon, Uber ride, to town tomorrow, where the kids and her will be staying until the divorce is settled. Leslie states the children need someone to love them. Before closing the door, she continues, My husband accused me of leaving because of you. I told him it wasn't true. But I do envy your wife. And who doesn't? She says goodnight and closes the door. Next day, come out of the house to talk with Charles as he's loading the wagon. Our pa's not coming, is he? Are we going to see him anymore? Charles' only response is he's not sure. But we all know if Laura had been involved in this episode story, she would have said yes. Sam takes this moment to nudge Tom. You tell him. Tom proceeds to share what we already know, but hearing it out of the mouth of his son, it's a little more heartbreaking. Our pa's not sick. He drinks whiskey because he's sad. Sam interjects, our mama never told us, but we know. Tom continues, he doesn't mean to be sad. I just think he forgot how to be happy. 
He then asks Charles if he can help his father out by giving him a dream to dream like you did us. Charles confesses that's not going to be easy. And Tom, but won't you try for us? And it's Charles. Of course he's going to try. After he's gathered everyone's luggage and is bringing it down the stairs, he decides now is the moment. And he finds Brett Harper at his desk and gives him some money to settle the account. Brett gives Charles a bill of sale. And sitting there, Brett admits he's trying to figure out how to keep Leslie from leaving. Pleading with her, fighting against you, neither makes sense. And he admits he hasn't tried to make anyone love him since his son died. And he takes blame for the death. It was four years ago. And no matter what, it still seems like yesterday to me. At this moment, tough loving Charles comes out. You think you're the only person who's ever suffered? Brett declares he's not asking for sympathy or forgiveness. Charles, good. Cause you're never gonna get it, never gonna get it. Never get it. Brett Harper continues how difficult it is for him knowing he killed his son. And Charles, you're not punishing yourself with your guilt. You're punishing your wife. You're punishing your children. You're destroying their love. That was no accident. You don't love your wife, Brett Harper. You're just afraid to be alone. Brett yells out, I spent the last four years working hard at being alone. That's not something you brag about. Stepping outside, Charles approaches Leslie and inquires if he can have a moment to talk with her. Oh, great. What did he say to you? He's drunk, you know. He just wants you to feel sorry for him. Charles, I'm not taking you to town. Because that man, he loves you. And you love him, Leslie. Leslie then starts eyeing the waters of denial. Putting her on the spot, Charles then inquires, Can you look at me and tell me you don't love him? Please? It's as simple as that. And it's so simple, she can't do it. Charles continues, Needing and loving aren't the same. There are some things you see in me you used to see in your husband. Remember, I told you, it's going to be work at being happy. And I think your husband is ready for work. you got to give it a chance. You all love him, and there's nothing else to be sure of. And he escorts Leslie back inside. Leslie and Brett are left alone. I won't make promises, and I won't plead, but I will try. Deal? Leslie takes a deep breath, and as she exhales, deal. Outside, Charles is kicking Tom and Sam out of the wagon, and with a smile, tells them their parents are inside. Jubilant, Sam yells out, she's not going, and runs inside the house to get a hug. Tom gives a hug to Charles and says, thank you. You gave our pa a dream. Charles, I didn't give him a dream. I acted like an alarm call to wake him up. With one final squeeze, Tom states, never gonna forget you. Heading into the house, he yells out, I love you, Charles. 
and really, who doesn't? With a sense of accomplishment, Charles, with all of those horses, heads back home. Oh, and surprise, Laura does make an appearance as a voiceover and tells us, two years later, Charles got a letter from the Harpers announcing the birth of Charles Michael Harper. I don't have many thoughts for trivia this week, but I have a few thoughts to share about the episode in general. So let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. The best way I can describe this episode is it's self-indulgent because apparently Michael Landon did not feel as though Charles Ingalls had enough episodes where he was central character and there were zero regular cast members. This episode is just nothing but Charles. And while I normally would be a-okay with that, at this point in the season, it's just ugh, too much. Please, let us go. I mean, to be honest, technically, this would have been the season finale. And dear listeners, I invite you to think back to the beginning of this season and think which two episodes would you eliminate? Oh, and let me state, you can't pick the God Sister because you got to clear up some space for the next two episodes. I had mentioned at the end of the previous episode, The Enchanted Cottage, how I felt as though that episode wasn't really necessary. And well... I take it back, this episode, this episode wasn't really necessary. It doesn't really do anything for the Prairieverse whatsoever. It's just, let's take a break from everyone and put the spotlight on Charles. Plus, we just discussed divorce five episodes ago in Blind Man's Bluff. So a little hashtag too soon on that. And it does seem as though it has been a while since alcoholism was a center point as well in a story. And no, happy drunk Toby No does not count in my book. That's one of the episodes I would eliminate. Oh, and it only counts if you're human as well. So Fred the Goat, out of luck. But it has been a while since we've had a story about the negative effects of alcoholism. Back in season one's Child of Pain with Jon Stewart and his son Graham. And in both of these cases, these men began abusing because of the death of a loved one, which is um something I can relate to as well. Shortly after my dad passed away, I started using alcohol a little more heavily and frequently. And then the pandemic happened, of course, a few months after his passing, so that didn't help the situation either. And it really hasn't been up until recently. I've reevaluated my relationship with alcohol and, well, we've had a breakup. But like some breakups, we've met up once or twice, and those morning afterwards were definitely good reminders. I don't like feeling like this, especially first thing in the morning. Did I start going to any meetings or anything? No, I just spend a little more time with myself reflecting on what would my dad be thinking of my behavior right now. And most likely he would have been a little ashamed. So I've been refocusing and definitely feeling a lot better with myself and more productive around the house as well as just in general. So with seeing Brett Harper on his four-year bender after the death of his son, 
which he does believe is 100% his fault, I can identify. The man's doing just the bare minimum to get through his days, which unfortunately, the casualties of that are the remaining members of his family. I really enjoyed the self-referencing moment where Charles assures young Thomas that everyone wets their bed and that at one time in his life, he did as well. I remember back in season one, I had mentioned in one of those episodes about Michael Landon's own real-life struggles with wetting the bed in his youth, which he made into a one-of-a-kind made-for-TV movie, The Loneliest Runner. You can find it on YouTube. And also stars Melissa Sue Anderson. And talk about something that really doesn't get mentioned anymore in TV. Bedwetting. But we have plenty of episodes about divorce, alcoholism, drug use, and grief. And what the fork? Why, why, why was Kylie Richards brought back as a completely different character? It's one thing to have our smaller actors come back and be somebody completely different, but little Alicia Sanderson was around and did have prominent screen time. Just a little annoyed by that. However, Leslie Harper is someone who did not annoy me in this episode. In fact, she was the highlight of the entire episode. She's the character I want to see on the screen all the time. It's like when you start out by watching a bad movie and then all of a sudden one character pops in and they are the only reason you finish the movie. That's Leslie Harper. Oh, and let's not forget the big shocker of this episode. Lansford Ingalls is dead? I mean, he seemed so chipper back in season three when he left to go back home. Oh, well. Lansford Ingalls. May he rest in peace. However, before we put this episode to rest, let's talk about this week's Little House moment. Which goes to Sam and Tom acknowledging they know more than people give them credit for. Up to this point, they've been really cute back and forth with their shade to one another and those special one-on-one -on -one moments with Charles bonding with Tom. But in this moment, they let everyone know they're not stupid. They also know how to do that magic Charles had performed earlier. Observation. And yeah, they're totally feeling neglected because of the effects of alcoholism directly from Brett Harper, but also indirectly when it affects Leslie and how she's able to distribute her love to everyone in her family. So yes, they're not stupid. Not that this is a big reveal or anything. However, it does make the story a little more gut-wrenching at that point. And let's get to rating this episode. Ooh, goodness. Not happy about this episode. The only thing this episode brought to the Prairieverse was Michael Landon's ego. We got a special return visit from Kylie Richards, and that's really about it that we can take away from this episode. Nothing here has anything to do with Walnut Grove. We don't even know if Charles bringing those horses back is going to deliver them to Walnut Grove. Again, as a soft reminder, at the beginning of this episode, we didn't even know if we were in Walnut Grove. In fact, you could have just called this episode Little Highway to Heaven on the Prairie. And all these heavy themes piled into one episode? Divorce, alcohol abuse, grief, and yes, this is a very probable series of events, but we've just had them all. So 
recently. So really, it just felt like a rebranding episode. With it really, like I've already said, saving grace, being Leslie Harper. I don't know if my feelings would be different if there was at least one additional cast member along for this adventure. Interesting to know, looking back through the spreadsheets of every episode that I've watched so far, I actually can't recall a, an episode where it has only just been Charles Ingalls. And no one, no one else from Walnut Grove. Laura, Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Garvey, Carolyn, Mary. Yeah, every time he's gone, he's with someone. Or if he's gone solo, there's at least one or two scenes that shows us what's happening back in Walnut Grove. Oh, right, this is a first. And for me, it just seems, it just totally backfires because I don't care. I like Leslie's character. I like her acting. I like Sam and Tom. But other than that, I don't care because I don't need this episode. For me, again, looking at the series as an overall story moving along, this, 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 this could be like a dream episode. At the end, Charles just wakes up and it doesn't matter. And that is why we are going to give this episode, Someone Please Love Me, a 2.5 bonnet rating, which is season five's lowest rating episode. And while some might find that questionable compared to The God Sister or Dance With Me, other than some great moments of dialogue and interaction, this just did not need to be here. And those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And of course, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Gmail and at Instagram is where you can reach me. And with two more episodes to go before we say goodbye to season five, fingers crossed that for my viewing pleasure, I hope they're better than this one. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.